to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. How many of you are ready for God's Word this morning, yeah? Well, um... You know, this is the first summer of the year, and uh, I, I have a couple of goals and a couple of things I want to do uh, today, but, you know, just to switch things up today, you know, for the first time, I'm giving you my sermon title up front. You know, usually it's 30 minutes into my sermon, but today I'm giving you my sermon title up front. It's uh, How We Change, and the subtitle is A Theology or Transformation. In a nutshell, I'd like to give you, um, all of you, our framework, roadmap, and our idea behind transformation and more specifically, how we get there. And uh, I'm going to talk about you know, the, why we do the things we do in the church, um, why we preach certain sermons, and how we uh, are really mapping out our, our road to transformation. And so today's sermon is this, how we change a theology of transformation. And some of the stuff I'm going to share today, you know, it's not new content. It's going to be a recap for some of you. For those of you who have recently joined our church, welcome. For those of you here the first time, welcome to you as well. This is the city, and I hope, you know, through this message, it will give you a bit of an inside look into the city, what we are about, what we believe, and why we do the things we do. Amen? Okay, and uh, at the end of the message, this is what I want to do. I want to chart a course for our church in relation to our spiritual growth, but I also want to give you an idea about what's coming up uh, in this year, specifically as it pertains to pulpit time. It's some of the stuff we're going to talk about and cover. Are you excited? Yes? Okay. And so, the backstory uh, of this whole thing is this. You know, uh, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Not very long, you know, like, like primary school kind of level. But I've been a Christian for a while, and, um, and uh, the church, you know, we've been around for a while as well, you know. And both the church and myself, you know, we've been through different uh, seasons and uh, been exposed to different streams, as we call them, uh, being fed from different places, uh, have uh, adopted different expressions through the years, have uh, done different things, tried different things, you know, and I think, you know, we are at a place in our church, this is our church's 10th year, can you imagine that? 10 years, 10 years, and we're going to do it big, we're going to fireworks and all that kind of stuff, but 10 years, you know, and I think we are at a point in our church, you know, through the, uh, with Daniel, myself, and all, all of y'all who have journeyed with us, I think we're at a point in our church where we've tried so many things that we, we are just coming into a season and in, in a place in the life of a church where we kind of know like what we should be about. We kind of know what's the sweet spot for us. We kind of know what works for us. Okay, even for myself, you know, um, growing as a Christian, um, you know, we, we were part of a charismatic church. And um, you know how many of y'all grew up charismatic, yeah? Tongue speaking, devil casting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, charismatic church, you know, um, the one of my observations uh, is this, uh, especially in charismatic circles, is that we approach transformation um, or the means to it as an immediate, instantaneous, sudden, without effort kind of thing. You know, I don't know whether how many of you have made a similar observation that our transformation looks like, you know, I come up to the front for prayer, and they pray for me, and bam, you know, I'm instantly delivered of all my sin, instantly delivered of all my shame, all the bad habits just fade away, I come to the front, and, you know, I don't need to go to the gym, six-pack, just boom, come out, you know. And, and you know, we, we laugh about it, but, you know, I think most of us will admit that we have that kind of mindset as it pertains to transformation, or more specifically, spiritual growth and spiritual formation. We think about it uh, in that regard. And I'm not saying that God is not able Right? You know, I've seen people you know, come up to the front with addictions that they've battled with, battled with for years and they get instantly delivered. Right? But we can all, I think, I think we're making just a quick observation, you don't have to look too deep, but you know that these cases, these stories, they are the outliers. They don't happen to the most, for, the, for the most part. Then what about you know, the 99.9% of y'all that don't get that instant breakthrough? What, what, how then do you navigate uh, post-prayer? How then do you navigate post the experience? What are you supposed to do then? And for, the most of, for most of us, this is what we do. We go like, hey, you know, I come up for, for prayer, bam, you know, I, I get prayed for. Hmm, things don't change. Never mind, I try one more time. Come up for prayer, bam. And our approach to transformation, our approach to change, our approach to growth, we almost look at it as like a lottery mentality, with a lottery mentality. One day, you know, I will strike it big. 
and then everything will change. You know, we approach transformation and spiritual growth in that regard. But, you know, I think there is kingdom on both sides. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to teaching us how to co-labor with God, teaching us how to be faithful in the process, teaching us how to partner God unto transformation, unto spiritual growth. And this is what I want to talk about today. Are you with me? Yeah. And, you know, another, another um, uh, observation is that that view of immediate transformation is often coupled with an irrational fear to the point of paranoia of earning your salvation, of working too hard or striving. That some of us grew up thinking that any kind of effort, any kind of work is equated to striving, legalism, religiosity, any kind of discomfort is equated to being part of the law and not under grace, and that we need to flee from any form of effort. Immediate transformation mentality and a, the avoidance of any form of effort is what actually keeps most of us bound in sin, bound in bad habits, trapped in an untransformed life. You know, I do agree that you know, uh, we shouldn't earn our salvation. We all agree on that, yeah? We shouldn't earn our salvation, we shouldn't strive. But, you know, most of us aren't even close to the side of like, earning our salvation. You know, I haven't met a guy that, that came up to me like, Andre, you know, I fast five days out of the week because I just want Jesus to love me more. I want to earn my salvation, you know. I haven't met a guy like that. It's like, oh, Andre, you know, I just like whip myself silly with a, with a three-court strand because, you know, I just need Jesus to love me. None of y'all are that close, you know. You might have like 0.001% of like Christians actually believe that, but most of us, we're on the other side, right? And, you know, to be honest, a, a guy like that would be like a dream come true to me because imagine how much I can manipulate him and I'd be like, oh, you want Jesus to love you more? You should serve in kids' ministry and... I'm just kidding, lah. I know you yeah, I, I don't do that, and you're too smart for that. But <laughs> there's a there's a deep irrational fear when it comes to earning. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a it's a paranoia that has produced this almost like knee jerk reaction to any form of effort or hard work. But I want to put it to you that transformation, for the most part, is a long, arduous process that requires effort. It requires work, it requires time, diligence, consistency, patience. And this is what we're centering the church around. We're centering it around you all being transformed. And not just transformed in a moment, but transformed as a process. And the Bible has language for it, it calls it sanctification. Our vision statement is in our city as it is in heaven. It's based on two assumptions. The assumption one, assumption one is that heaven can be a reality that we experience on earth. Assumption two is that we see heaven on earth. We see our cities and our nations transformed by transforming people. And transformation happens most of the time as a process. Are you following me? Yeah. Someone title today is How We Change, a theology on transformation. And we're going to look at a few passages of scripture Passages of scripture, and then uh, I'm going to take you somewhere. Today will be a bit long, a bit heavy, but you know, all in good Christian fun. Okay, follow me. Okay, let's have the verses up. Now I have a newsletter today. None of y'all say anything, but. <coughs> let's go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Catch that. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James and the son, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They just left the father in the boat. Wow. Okay. With the hired servants and followed him. Okay. Let's look at the next passage of scripture in Mark chapter 2. He went out again, Jesus, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Ephesus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Mark chapter 3. 
And Jesus went on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Last passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We read four sets of scripture. You know, this is not rocket science. Do you see a pattern there? Yeah, how many of you see a pattern there? In story after story, the invitation of Jesus does not sound like, hey, believe in me, say a prayer, and you know, you're free from hell, man. And that's a pretty good deal. The invitation of Jesus sounded like, hey, come and follow me. And it's interesting that in most churches today, the gospel is reduced to a get out of hell free card. And we've rarely talked about this aspect of following Jesus, following Him, coming alongside Him, adopting His ways, adopting His lifestyle, following Him. And the invitation of Jesus all through the gospel sounded like that. Do you agree? And so I want, I want to answer the question today, you know, how do we change? How are we transforming? I believe herein is the answer. We do so by following Jesus, by being His disciple. And this is you know, our, our working theory on transformation, on how we become more like Jesus, how we be with Him, how we do His works. We achieve all of that unto the goal of transformation, sanctification, spiritual growth by following Him. And this is what we center our church around. All our teachings are centered around this concept, this principle. Now on the surface, it seems very easy, right? Intuitive almost. Follow Jesus, be His disciple. Duh, Right? But I believe it's a lot deeper than you think. And I don't think, you no, know, for most of us, we've adequately weighed what that would mean in relation to our lives. How that would change our lives. How that would push, push us into areas of discomfort, into areas of inconvenience. And today I want to expound further on that. Are you with me? Yeah. <clears throat> All Andre sermons has a Hebrew word, has Bible verses, because that makes it legal has cool slides and a Dallas Willard quote. Dallas Willard. <laughs> no, people send me like pictures of his quotes and stuff like that, and they're like, Andre, you're such a fanboy. Yes. Dallas Willard, spiritual formation, and this is the new cool insider lingo for transformation. So much cooler to say spiritual formation, right? Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by such character traits as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus our teacher, from the inward character, the deeds of love, they naturally, but supernaturally and transparently flow. Dallas Willard, such a masterful teacher. And, you know, I'll just be really upfront and honest with you. There are a bunch of Dallas Willard quotes in here because I think he's, he's the master of this topic and this concept that we we're talking about. Now, discipleship would mean different things to different people, right? For some, it could bring up nightmarish memories, youth leader screaming at you or telling you you can't be with your very serious girlfriend at 14 years old, which will be, what, 13? Nine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Jason told me I cannot be Amy. And so, but, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Christine, actually. It was so funny because I was just reviewing old text messages before I got married. And I was like, no, I wonder if I can find these messages. And I found all of them. Like this, Christine tell me like, don't worry, just move on. Uh, The pain will subside, this kind of thing. And I was thinking to myself like, maybe I will print that up in like big boards and like on the aisle and I put it on the side. And it was like, we overcome every opposition. But, uh, you know, I was an honoring boy. And so, yeah. And of course she was right. I was too young. Okay. But, you know, discipleship will mean different things to different Different ones, right? You have different experiences. Some of it would be good memories. Some of it, you know, bad memories. The word discipleship would trigger some emotions, some fears, some anxiety in you for, 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 for some of you. For some, discipleship will mean one-on-one in that Bible study. 
someone sit down with you, go through the book of the Bible, go through the green book, the blue book, all that kind of stuff. Or discipleship would be one-on-one mentoring. You know, most of the time with an older, wiser person will tell you like, hey, young punk, you know, you need to like, change your life. One-on-one mentorship for some discipleship would be like leadership development. You know, the master plan of Jesus, like take your 12 and then one of you all take your 12 and then, you know, sooner or later, like you have a pyramid and uh, that's not a very good way of looking at it. <laughs> but but you all know what I mean, yeah? <laughs> Those are all great, right? But I would like to propose to you that they are not um, discipleship in its full extent. You know, I, I, I think discipleship would encompass some of these things, but it would be inaccurate to say one-on-one Bible study is discipleship, mentoring is discipleship, leadership development is discipleship. As good as these things are, they are what they are. One-on-one Bible study, mentoring, leadership, development. But discipleship is vastly different. And in my humble opinion, it has lost its meaning over time. And today, I want to help us understand or rediscover what discipleship really is. Are you with me? Okay, let me nerd out on you for a bit. We're going to go through history. We're going to start in Galilee, in Israel, and then we're going to swing back to Cecil Street in Singapore. Okay. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. That's staggering, 269. The word Christian, however, is found only three times in the Bible. Three times. And it was used only by outsiders of the church and often as a term of insult. Think of it like a racial slur. Like you Christians, you know. But disciple was used 269 times. And And in the New Testament, okay, every time the word Christian was mentioned, it was used to introduce or to refer precisely to disciples. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the backstory of, G- of discipleship, or this concept of discipleship. It wasn't invented by Jesus. Shocker. Jesus wasn't the first nor the last rabbi to have disciples. In fact, discipleship didn't even start in Israel. It began in Greece. For example, Plato was a disciple of Socrates and later spread through all of the Roman Empire and eventually to Israel. All that to say discipleship was a big part of the first century world, but sadly, when we talk about discipleship today, we rip it out of its first century context. Jesus was a lot of things. He was, we know him best as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. But if you were a first century Jew living in Jesus' day and you enter the synagogue and you would sit and you would hear Jesus teach, more often than not, you would look at him and refer to him as rabbi. And rabbi would mean teacher. A rabbi was a teacher who would travel from town to town with his yoke. And that was a first century euphemism for a set of teachings or way of reading the Torah. That was who Jesus was, a young, brilliant rabbi, kind of an anti-status quo kind of figure. Of the 90 or so times the scriptures record people interacting with Jesus, upwards of 60 times he was called rabbi or teacher. The 90, 90 interactions or so we find in the Bible, upwards of 60 he was referred to as rabbi or teacher. And this actually has a ton of implications to the idea or practice of following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to move beyond just a belief statement, to move beyond just a prayer, but into a life yoked to the ways of Jesus. What does it mean to follow Him? Following Jesus today has almost become a cliche and has lost so much of its original meaning. Following a person today, its definition or the ideas that are brought about when you say that is vastly different from the first century. Following a person today could be on Instagram, you click follow, you like, you know, whole person's world is accessible to you. You know, I, I follow this person. And, but, you know, there, there is no real relationship, no real connection. And the truth of the matter is, culture has discipled us to think that we can follow a person, be, have access to information, have access to benefits without any intimate connection. Culture has discipled us to think that following Jesus, being his disciple, can be done at a distance, can be done at no cost, can be done without any intimate connection. That we can experience the life of Jesus, the benefits of being his disciple, without actually following him. To follow a person, and they meant that 
you were to become his disciple. And he had a cross attached to it. And here's where everything went down here. Here's, here's how we ended up where we are today as a church, as it pertains to discipleship. Let me geek out on you a bit. In the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine, after a prolonged period of Christian persecution, made the imperial endorsement of Christianity and decreed it to be Rome's official religion. The persecution of Christians stopped and droves of people professed themselves to be Christians in response to the emperor's decree. Like, hey, this is our official religion now. Join the club. And so a bunch of people did. However, the brand of Christianity that soon followed paled in comparison to the Christian faith that the early disciples lived and modeled. To the Romans, religion was simply the rituals that you do, the God that you erected a shrine for, who you prayed or worshipped to. And for the most part, there was virtually no ethical demand when it comes to religion. No reorientation of life whatsoever. Religion was simply an add-on to life. All of a sudden, the nature of Christianity or the Christian faith shifted. To be a Christian was previously an immensely difficult thing. It could mean the cost, your comfort, your possessions, even your life. It involved reorienting your life around the teaching of Jesus, yoking oneself to Jesus' ethics, values, and lifestyle. It involved tremendous sacrifice, persecution, and even death. But after Constantine's decree, Christianity became a status symbol. It became a club, something you just professed you are, with virtually no ethical demand. In that day, we saw the birth of what we commonly term and refer to as nominal Christianity. A new category of Christian was created in that day. And what that is in a nutshell is that you could be a Christian by name, but be without its nature. A status symbol rather than submission to the ways of God. And that's where we're at as a church today. We have a new category in the church. A distinction between Christian and disciple. Christian as people who, for the most part, agree with the teachings of the church agree that Jesus exists. You know, pray the occasional prayer when they need help. But that, that was, that's the extent of their faith. And disciple, a person who would look at the commands of Scripture, look at the admonitions of Scripture, and intentionally, with effort, attempt to conform their lives to the pattern of Jesus. Attempt to align their lives to the lifestyle of Jesus. And we have two categories of people in the church today. But here's, here's the simple truth. A distinction between Christian and disciple would have been utterly lost on Jesus and the early church. For the early church, there is no distinction between believing in Jesus and following Him. There was no distinction. It's interesting that the Greek word used to describe belief in the Bible, what seem to suggest that in order to believe in a person, you had to commit or give your whole life toward that cause or toward that person. Today, belief for us is more philosophical. It's more an agreement to what we perceive as reality. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe He exists. But biblical language will suggest that in order to believe in Jesus, in order to walk out that belief, you had to commit your whole life and put your trust toward that truth, toward that person. It involved change, practical change, not just philosophical belief. It would seem to suggest to us that if our belief does not produce change, practical change in our life, it almost empties that belief of its meaning, of its value. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. Philosophically, we have to follow Him. Am I making sense? For the early church, it was a given. In order to believe in Jesus, you had to follow him. You had to. No two ways about it. It was one and the same. Dallas Willard again. <laughs> it's a masterful definition of disciple. He says this, The disciple is one who intent upon becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. I'm wondering here whether you have a trajectory or you have a goal in mind as it pertains to your spiritual growth, as it pertains to your discipleship, your apprenticeship to Jesus. Do you have a goal in mind that says that in a year from now, I hope to be this kind of person as it pertains to my spiritual growth. I hope 
to be more like Jesus in this area of my life. I hope to be more surrendered. I hope to be more willing to give. I hope to give more, do more for the kingdom. Do you have a goal in mind when it comes to your spiritual growth? Or are you approaching it passively with a lottery mentality that if God wants to do something, sure, He can do it. Without any concept, without any intent of co-laboring with God in the process of growth and transformation. You know, there's this urban legend. How many of you know who the Knights Templar are? Yeah? You know, Knights Templar, um, uh, you know, if you read about the Crusades and, and all of that. You know, it's a really interesting read. And uh, Knights Templar were, were basically, you know, the, the soldiers uh, the, of, of the Catholic Church then. And uh, there's this interesting urban legend. You know, I did, I tried my best to find the research for it. You know, I, some sources say it's true, some sources say it's false. But, you know, I lean on the truth part because, you know, those sources are great and... Uh, this will preach, but <laughs> but you know it's it, it, it said that that when the Knights Templar before they went to battle they would uh, be baptized they would uh, you know do what we we, we do we, we did a few weeks ago they would be baptized but the interesting thing was that they would be baptized they would enter the baptismal water in their full armor they wear their full armor and they would go to be baptized but the urban legend is this that when they got baptized. They would step into the water in their full armor. And before they went down, they would unsheath the sword and stick it out of the water as they were being baptized. And they will be baptized, their body, but their sword will be sticking out of the water. As if to say, Jesus, you can have all of this, but what I do with this, you have no lordship over. You have no say over. Now, this will be a really funny kind of picture, right? You know, they'll be baptized and they'll stick the sword up and like, this is so foolish. But let's put it into our modern context. For some of you, it might be your phone. For some of you, it might be, oh yeah, you know, if you don't have an iPhone, you know, it's not waterproof. And <laughs> you, can, you can sing that sucker in if you have an iPhone. But, you know, for some of you, it might be your laptop. For some of you, your, your career, your family, your lifestyle, your possessions, what you deem as success your insatiable need and desire for more, that could be something you stick out of water and say, Jesus, you can have all of me. You can have my Sundays. You can have my reading time. You can have even prayers for me. But what I do with this, you have no say over. You have no say over. You have no say over my career. You have no say over the way I run my family. But discipleship, following Jesus, means to be yoked to Him. It means to adopt His lifestyle. It means to believe that His way is the way to flourishing. His way is the way to life in all its abundance. It's absolute trust that produces practical changes to align us with His ways. Am I making sense? Read you an, another quote, A.W. Topzer. He says this, A notable heresy has come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need Him as Savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to Him as Lord as long as we want to. Let it hit you for a bit. Salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scripture. This heresy has created the impression that it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. One, in fact, says to Jesus, I like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? But can we really imagine that this is an approach that Jesus finds acceptable? A.W. Toza, man, that, that guy don't play around. <laughs> you know, uh, how many of you have uh, on Netflix here, yeah? a bunch of you here? Yeah? How many of you have seen the new Tidying, 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 tidying Up show with uh, Marie Kondo, yeah? Yeah, Marie Kondo, yes. How many of you have, uh, you know, has it sparked off life change, you know? One of the things I do is I just, uh, I just play it and let it run and, you know, I just let it run in my house and, you know, Amy will sit down every now and then and I will look at her and I'm like, oh, that, that looks like a really nice way to fold clothes and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and Amy has uh, made some significant changes. And uh, I, I, I recommend that show for the most part. There's some of it that's a bit like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. But uh, the practical stuff, that, that's, that's pretty, pretty powerful. And uh, I recommend it, highly recommend that show. <coughs> if you're a messy boy like me. But, um, you know, they go through practical stuff like how to tidy up, 
uh, how to um, fold your clothes in a way, how to declutter. And um, the decluttering part is really, really interesting. And so the whole concept, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're a disciple of Marie Kondo. And no, you're not. <laughs> but uh, but, but I, I might butcher it, and so forgive me if, if I do. But, you know, when you're trying to declutter and get rid of stuff and, you know, be all minimalist and, and not have access, you, you take up the piece of clothing or you take up the, that item and you hold it to your chest. And, uh, and you know, you, have, you ask yourself the question, like, does this spark joy? And the way she described it is like, spark joy is like when you hold a puppy and then your heart goes ching and... and <laughs> Yeah, it's, you ching, and then, you know, if you have the ching, you get to keep it. And if it doesn't, you know, you, you, you put it away. And that's, it's called the Con Marie method, you know. And, and it's, it's a great way, you know, like, I look at the stuff I have, and I'm like, you know, does this bring me joy? And everything's black, so, you know, I'm like, meh, <laughs> meh, you know. And sooner or later, I have no clothes. But, <laughs> so it's, it's actually quite interesting. Here's, here's the honest truth. Most of us, okay, when we approach scriptures, we approach it using the Conmarie method. We look at it, the comments of scripture, and we go, does this spark joy? And it's like, no. Okay, get rid. <laughs> does this spark joy? Okay, maybe can, you know. We look at, ooh, love your enemies. No, this doesn't spark me joy, you know. Uh, I can, you know, move past it. You know, and we employ the Conmarie method, you know. <laughs> with stuff like that. But discipleship, Submitting the Lordship of Jesus means submitting your whole life. All of it. It's either He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Cliché, you know, evangelical statement. But it rings true. It's a cliché for a reason. It's either He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And the question for us today, you know, in talking about discipleship, and talking about adopting the life of Jesus, His lifestyle, it's like, are there stuff that you still hold on to outside of the water? They are outside of the dominion, the lordship of Jesus. And if so, would you consider submitting to him and his ways and trusting that indeed he has the right pattern for your life and life in all its fullness for you to thrive and flourish? I'm making sense. Now, uh, nerdy part and then we'll, we'll get to fun part very soon. Part of rediscovering and understanding discipleship is to see it through the lens of his first century context. In the first century Jewish discipleship, a disciple was selected after a vigorous selection process. The rabbi, after determining the candidate's uh, academic acumen, his knowledge, etc., how willing he is to follow what in an essence say to him, hey, you, young person, come follow me and be my disciple. And the disciple of a rabbi in that day had three goals. Everybody say three goals? Three goals. And let's put the goals up the script. First goal was this. He had to be with his rabbi. Discipleship in that day was a 24-7 thing. It was not a school you attend and leave and, and you know, you, you, you didn't check out of discipleship. It's 24-7. It would mean that you traveled from village to village, ate and slept where the rabbi slept. One famous Jewish blessing goes, uh, that they were saying that day is, it goes something like this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Ooh, you know, it means proximity, it means closeness. Like, may you be covered just like, you know, smothered in his dust. And that was a Jewish blessing. Today we go, you know. Um, it was said that in that day, the disciples were, would be so close and diligent to follow a rabbi that the rabbi would rarely be able to see even his own shadow. Talk about personal space. If you serve well and you followed him well, you wouldn't be able to see his own shadow. That was a famous uh, saying in that day. The next goal was this, that they were to become like their rabbi. Follow his mannerisms, his tone of voice, learn and bask under his wisdom. Literally model their lives after the life of the rabbi. And the last goal was this, to do what their rabbi did. The final goal of discipleship was for the disciple himself to be charged with the task to disciple others. When the disciple was done with his training, he would be charged by the rabbi himself and he would say, he would say something like this, now you go and disciple, now you go and teach others to do what his rabbi did. Now, all of you all are very smart, intelligent people. You can see where I'm going with this. And so let me, let me just go with this. You know. Let's swing from Galilee, from Israel, the first century. And let's take this and swing to 21st century Singapore, Cecil Street. The goal of discipleship, of following Jesus, is this. 
to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Okay? Now, this is for the benefit of doubt for some of you who weren't here. You know, we talked about the passion statement and how it came about in June. But, you know, I want us all to track along even as we map out what the rest of this year is going to look like. And this is key. This is fundamental to our existence as a church, to all that we do. All that we do, every initiative, every teaching is centered around this goal, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through the three, three points give you a big broad stroke and we'll spend the rest of the year centering our teaching on uh, at least one, if not all three of these points. But that's our passion statement. We exist to help all people be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do the works of Jesus in our city. First point, be with Jesus. Jesus calls this abiding the vine. 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 Paul calls this prayer without ceasing. Our Catholic brothers calls it contemplation. And Brother Lawrence calls it the practice of the presence. Now, I love the word practice. Practice. The practice of the presence. And I'd like to propose to you that we be with Jesus, we learn how to be with Jesus by practicing. By practicing. And I love the word practice over discipline. Because practice seems to say to me that when I start, I won't be naturally good at it. It says to me that I get better over time. I think I'm missing a word. It says practicing. <laughs> Dang it, Grammarly. <laughs> but. Ayo. You know what? This is what we'll do. Uh, flip to the next slide with the verse. Okay, let's read this verse and move on from this. No, but, but it's true, okay? I, I love the word practicing over discipline because it says that I wouldn't naturally be good at it. You know, if I start prayer, Okay? You know, I view it as a discipline. And it's not wrong to view it as a discipline. You know, I, I commit myself to doing it. But sometimes you know, I place this uh, illogical, you know, uh, crazy expectation on myself that once I, when the first time I do it, you know, then I'll be like 30, 45 minutes in tongues, you know, 30 minutes sitting in the quiet, I'll pray for a couple of hours and you know, I'm just a prayer warrior at the start. You know, we don't get there. We get there through practice over time. As I said earlier, there's almost a knee-jerk reaction to, leg- to a legalistic teaching of, of the past that caused the church to be vehemently ex- opposed to effort, hardship, or really anything that, comes na- that doesn't come naturally. Right? But being of Jesus, we do so through practice. Let's look at this verse in 1 Corinthians. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now this was in you know, the first century. Today, 21st century, we all get the prize, because, you know, millennials and... <laughs> yeah, I, I found all these, like, you know, prizes for participation in my house, and I was like, ooh, I am so millennial. But anyway, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes through strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. And that is strong language. I beat my body. I push it into submission. Wow. How often do we talk about that? You know, Kumbaya, everything will turn out for the better. You know, There is a place, a central place for self-effort in your apprenticeship to Jesus. There is a place for effort. There is a place for work, for hardship, for process. And here's something that we need to understand fundamentally. We need to understand that there's a distinction between trying and training. Trying and training. You know, let's say, you know, I... uh, How many of you have ran a full marathon in your lives? Don't lie, full marathon. Wow, okay. Wow, how many, how many? Hands up, hands up. Wow, 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 okay. Full marathon is what? 42.195. Right? No. More than that. Yeah, 42.195. Very, very, very long. You know, um, suppose, right? Suppose um, 42 kilometers. That's more than most, what most of you drive in a week. But uh, 42 kilometers. Um, follow me, follow me. Let's say, okay, you know, um, this doctor like knocks on my front door and comes to me and says, like, Andre. I spent my whole life searching for you. 
and he said, you know, I have your blood work from when you're a baby and you are genetically superior to all men in the human race. You know, I like to think of myself like that, but you know, we're not as true. But he said, you know, you are built, engineered on a biochemical level to be the best marathon runner on planet Earth. And I sit there and I say, like, yes, I receive. I receive, you know. And, and then he's like, run, run and not go weary, you marathon runner, you. And like, okay, you know. And so, you know, I put on my, my short shorts, you know, those like very obscene ones. And uh, yeah, yeah, FPT, fat boy training. And uh, so, and so I put them on, you know, my, my little singlet. And I'm like, I am genetically superior. I am made for this, engineered by the almighty himself to run marathons. And, and I go out and I run a marathon and I try really hard. You know, kilometer in, maybe five. How many of you know if I keep going, I will die? <laughs> you know, if I keep going for 42 kilometers, I will die, you know. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I push myself, no matter if I'm crawling on the ground and I, you know, choose to forsake breathing in order to get further, how many of you know I will die? No matter how hard I try. But if I were to put myself into a training process, do the five, do the seven, do the eight, do the ten, I will get there eventually. And that's how we are supposed to approach spiritual discipline, spiritual practices. There's a difference between trying and training. John Ortberg, pastor, he says, he says this. Um, he says, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. Training wisely. Question for us is, what are you working on? What do you hope to grow in? What are you shooting for? How do you track your performance, your progress, etc.? Do you have a roadmap Unto transformation, unto the change you want to see. There's a difference between trying and training. You know, this week I'm so happy. My 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 iPhone uh, phone phone report just came up. You know, I'm down 14% this week. Wow, you know, freedom from the chains of urban digitalization and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you know what I mean. You know, how are you tracking? How are you tracking your progress? How are you growing? You know, we all know this. You grow in patience when you practice patience in knowing circumstance. Likewise, you grow in being with Jesus, when you practice being with Him in the midst of the daily grind, the mundane, and in the midst of distraction. Let's have a Brother Lawrence quote up. You can call me Brother Andre. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Practicing of the presence. We don't get there in an instance. We don't get there tomorrow. We get there by making small steps of change, by choosing His presence in the midst of distraction, opposition. Amen? Next point. Become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. I believe we do so by adopting His way. By adopting His way. And I'm saying this, the way of Jesus as supposed to the way or the ways of the world. Here's the truth. Much of what our generation calls culture, Jesus and the writers of the Bible calls the world. The word ball, everybody know the word ball? Yes? Has multiple meanings. It means round object that you can throw. It, will, it could mean formal dancing event that you go to. Or it can mean to have fun, like, hey, go and have a ball. You know, it has multiple meanings. Likewise, the word world in the Bible has multiple meanings as well. It could mean cosmos, the world in which we live in, or humanity, mankind. Or what I believe Jesus is specifically targeting is this. It is what is prevalent in culture, the societal norm. Imagine with me. Another day of, the work, of work has passed. You arrive home. You heat up yesterday's leftover lasagna, fish curry, or mi chiam kueh. And you sit down on the couch and turn on the next episode of your Netflix show of choice. At last, a time to check out, whew, to unwind, to let your gut down. Or maybe it's been a stressful day at home and if you have kids, the kids are asleep and you take a long exhale as you sink into bed with your phone. Before you know it, 5, 15, 30, now 42 minutes have passed and it's time to go to bed. It says this, you know, it's a staggering step, but I don't believe it's you know, all of you all, but the average 21st century adult spends four hours watching TV or four and, a, four and a half hours listening to music, 200 minutes on their phone, 135 minutes of that on social media, 
and uh, shockingly low 15 minutes reading each day. Each and every day, we are exposed to countless images and words in the form of media, stories, text, and sound bites, all of which are warring for space in our thoughts, our ideas, our feelings, or what the New Testament calls our mind. A first century follower of Jesus named Paul wrote to the Church of Rome saying, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul recognized three truths. The world has a way of thinking. The world's way of thinking has a gravitational pull. And three is that if you think like the world, you'll begin to live like the world. With that, he commands early followers of Jesus to not be conformed, but be transformed. How many of you remember burning CDs? Yeah. Burning CDs, yeah? Yeah? Bunch of you burning CDs. Uh, you know, today we have streaming services, we have Spotify. You know, you have like an infinite, infinite uh, amount of music. I don't think you can listen to every track in your lifetime, Spotify. You know, uh, you have streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, but back in the day, if you like a song, and I'm talking like an old man, but, you know, but back in the day, if you like a, a song, okay, from the artist, you had to go to HMV at Heeren, and you had to go in to cassette people. I'm so sorry, I cannot relate. But CD people, you know, we had to go for one song, okay? You had to go and buy the CD, and it's like, what, $17.99, $15.20 for one song. You know, that's more than your entire month's Spotify uh, subscription. And for, for a few songs or one song, you know, uh, then of course, you know, um, um, streaming came into play, but, but before that, there was this period where uh, they had uh, file sharing, right? And file sharing is still around today, but it was very big when I was very young, you know? People would download music, they'll put it in the CD, they'll burn the CD, it takes like ages, and then they'll take a marker, yeah? And they'll write, you know, all the songs on there, you know, back then Sharpie, the profit share was like, <laughs> you know, and so it's like they were right, and then you know, like, that's how you bell by and how you confess your feelings to someone. Like you burn a CD and be like, yo, these songs, man, they express my love and my feelings toward you, you know. And then you had like different collections. You had one that says like emo with all the like you know grungy stuff and my typical romance and all that kind of stuff, but. And, and that was what it was, you know, back then, you know, uh, a few of us were, were in church uh, early on. Uh, we had a guy who had, like, this hard disk. And this hard disk had, like, every Christian music imaginable in this hard disk, you know. And this hard disk, like, made its way through a church. And all of us, we had, like, you know, back then, like, five gigabytes of, of music, which was a lot, you know. But, you know, it, 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 just a, 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 fa- a few facts about file sharing. File sharing began with a site called Napster. And Napster was, uh, after they started, it was shortly sued by the band Metallica. After the band discovered that all of his music, even the ones that they did not release yet, was available on the site. Napster's case was that Metallica can afford having their music online. Metallica's case was that stealing is stealing. And they went to court and and Metallica sued uh, Napster for it. In the end, Metallica won in the court, but Metallica lost in the court of public opinion. Everyone saw file sharing as something that was socially acceptable. Everyone was doing it. It's perfectly okay. File sharing became the socially acceptable norm. In any culture, no matter modern or primitive, stealing equals wrong. Right? We agree on that. But as it pertains to file sharing, culture then almost erased the line of right and wrong and redefined it to suit what was societally acceptable. Everyone file shared. Come on, admit it. How many of you burn CDs? Yes? The Lord is looking, huh? <laughs> Culture redrew the lines of right and wrong to suit what was the popular opinion, to suit what was societally acceptable. Culture has taught us that just as long as no one is directly impacted or hurt by my actions, or if we believe the party is able to afford it, it is okay. Or the ninth core value of the SAF, don't get caught. <laughs> my point is this. Using prevalent culture, societally acceptable norms, ideas, popular opinion as your barometer for right and wrong is at best a terrible idea. The way of the world is easy, it's alluring, but more dangerously, it seems to make logical sense. The big question isn't whether or not you're a disciple today. The big question is what are you a disciple of? The ways of Jesus or the way of the world. To be a follower of Jesus requires us to resist the ways of the world, the stuff that seems to honestly make the most sense and adopt his ways, sometimes admittedly so. 
indirect and inconvenient. Simply put, we don't always get what we want or are admonished or are admonished to do what is comfortable, easy or naturally occurring. Falling, you know, um, I'm going to read like a, a, falling, a, a few beliefs that I believe have infiltrated culture and are shaping the way we think today. Thought number one, that nobody or anything should stand in the way of me getting what I want. Thought number two, that if anyone or anything does, it is equal to oppression. And thought number three is that if I can't get what I want, I can never be happy. If I'm reading the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus right, the thoughts above are at best a little off base. I want to read you a quote uh, from a pastor that I'm really influenced by, John Mark Comer. He says this, Just as in an earlier time, it was never thought fitting to deny God. Now it seems never right to deny oneself. Slogans abound. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. All of this is the orthodoxy of our culture. Take up your cross. It's now heresy. This is the state of the world we live in with its gravitational pull towards popular opinion, towards societal norm. And if we don't understand the cultural climate that we're born into, we will be swept away by it. It is normal for, for restaurant goers to shout at the wait stuff. It's normal to lie, to cheat, to get, get hit. It's normal to betray. It's normal to cut corners. It's normal to steal. What is normal? I will put it to you. May not be kingdom. The last point is this, to do what Jesus did. The word for disciple in the Bible in its original Greek is the word metataste. It can be translated disciple, follower, or student. Most would agree that, that a better way to describe this concept of metataste is an apprentice. To actually follow and do what the teacher, the person you're following, is doing or did. How many of you remember the WWJD bracelets? Yeah? How many of you own, own that? You know, I have a picture. This is like the, the you know, I don't want materials this, but it gets really smelly and sweaty. And <laughs> WWJD, what will Jesus do? And people wear them all the time and it gets very gunchy. You know, I like to propose an update or uh, an addition to WWJD. And that's what I propose. WWJD IHWM. <laughs> it's going to be a thing though. You know, you heard it first here. When it goes viral and global, you know, you'll be like, I missed out. I did not respond right away, but what? WWJD, IHWM. And simply put, this is what it means. What would Jesus do if he were me? If he were me? What would he do with the unique opportunities that I've been given, with the challenges that I've faced, with the place that I've been planted into, with my educational qualifications or the lack of them, with my jobs, with my resources or the lack of them? What would he do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he lived in the city of Singapore? I believe living this out is taking ownership of the problems and injustices that we see around us and intentionally making efforts to alleviate oppression and remedy situations or in the language of the Bible, it's becoming salt and light. I believe we do what Jesus did by doing it in our city. In our city. We do what Jesus did in our city. We have that slide? Yes. And I promise you that, that I'm going to chart the course and I'm going to set a goal for us um, in this interaction. You know, I love this time we get to spend together, you know, and talking about Bible and growing together and hearing what God has to say. But this is my goal for the year. And I've summed it up, up in the statement, you know, I believe we be Jesus through practice. We become like him by adopting his way. And then we do his works in our city. And here's the goal for 2019, that we endeavor to practice the way of Jesus together in our city. We practice the way of Jesus together in our city. And this will say to us that we won't be naturally good at it right off the bat, but we take intentional effort. We adopt His way over the ways of the world, over what seems to make logical sense and popular opinion. And we do it together in the context of a city, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. We practice the way of Jesus together in our city. I was expecting applause at this point, but you know, let's just... Let's, let's, let's. Ship has sailed, ship has sailed. But, uh, but uh, here, here's uh, a couple things I have on the docket for the rest of the year. Uh, be with Jesus. Uh, how, what are some of the things we're going to do? We're going to have our series next week on emotionally healthy spirituality. You know, I believe that some of the, the things we term as opposition to us growing spiritually is actually um, emotional uh, health issues that we need to work through. Uh, we have our church camp 2019. That's going to be really great. Uh, we have spiritual retreat. 
uh, that we're going to do again this year. I know how many of you were there for the last one. Really powerful. And so we're going to do another one this year. And we also have uh, different prayer groups that happen all through the week. And uh, we have a prayer ministry that uh, happens every Sunday morning for you to spend time with Jesus and learn how to pray as well. And so these are great opportunities that we have all through the year. Uh, become like Jesus. How are we going to do that? You know, become like Jesus. Um, I'm going to run a series uh, somewhere uh, in the year called uh, Enemies of the Soul. We're going to talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Come on. Always fun when you talk about the devil and trying to beat him. But and uh, another series uh, called Spiritual Formation Through Practice where we really rediscover some of the practices uh, that we ought to commit ourselves to as Christians from prayer to communion to community Silence salt you. That's going to happen uh, somewhere during the year. And we also have our life groups running all through a year. We hope to improve the experience for you. And if not currently part of a life group, you need to be part of one. And Christianity uh, is meant to happen and occur in the context of community. And the last one is just do the works of Jesus. Do the works of Jesus. A couple of things are coming up. We have our series on justice that we're going to have at the end of the year. Every year, we start off the year with a strong inward focus. In the middle of the year, we do a lot of becoming like Jesus stuff, discipleship. And at the end of the year, you know, we talk about doing the works of Jesus. We oscillate to a justice expression. And so that's going to happen uh, towards the end of the year. We have our Love of City initiatives. That's really great. 97 of you were a part of that. Come on. That's really great. And we're also having our mission trips this year. We convened and, and started a missions comp. And the missions comp's role is to promote uh, local missions in, uh, promote missions in the context of a local church. And so, be expectant for that. Are you all good? In closing, we hear the language follow Jesus all the time, but what does it mean to be a disciple or apprentice? Put it simply, it means to reorganize, reorient your life around three goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's it, but that's an entire life's pursuit. It's not just an event on Sunday, but a way of life in community around the teachings of Jesus. To live this way means we need to be transformed from the inside out. Is this kind of deep, authentic, radical change of character possible? Really, even in the chaos of the modern digital urban world? The answer is absolutely yes. Through teaching, practice, community, and the Holy Spirit, we can recover our humanity, our God-given design, in discipleship to Jesus. Can we stand? Amen, amen. How many are you with me? Yes. You know, we're running tight on time, uh, but I have a, a couple of things I want to run through uh, with you before we end. Now, I was thinking, like, how do we uh, end off the first sermon of the year and, uh, and lead us to starting, you know, the rest of uh, the year, uh, this interaction we have together, this time where we hear God's word, where we endeavor to be like Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. And uh, I want to start off, you know, by making a commitment to you uh, as your pastor, as the primary teacher of uh, the church, as the person who holds uh, most of the pulpit time. And I want to give my commitment to you. Here's a, it's, a, you know, it's like marriage, right? It's a relationship. And here's my commitment to you. My commitment is to, first and foremost, be prayerful. My commitment is everything that is preached from here will be soaked, immersed in prayer. That my life will be soaked, immersed in prayer. That all that I say would things that I feel and sense in my time of prayer with the Lord. Second commitment is this, to doing adequate research and necessary fact-checking in my sharing. I promise to be integrous in that area. I commit to not just be a student, but a teacher, but a student. To learn, to continuously learn. I commit to being open and receptive to feedback. And I also commit to faithfully living out the Word and holding myself to a higher standard of integrity. And one that didn't make it up is that I commit to being honest. And honest would mean I'm authentic with my life, but also honest about the high standards, the high commands of Scripture. That I will not water it down. And this is a two-way thing. You know, I have commitments for you as well, if you die, be willing. Your commitment is this. To show up, come to church, and be ready to engage with the Word. You know, that look, could look different things to different people. It could mean, you know, sitting there and pondering. It could look like closing your eyes and fading off into the loving arms of the Father. But if you ask me if I have a preference, I would prefer you to engage. And so, you know, it feels more like a conversation as opposed to a classroom, okay? Can we do that? Yes? Okay, if you agree, you will. Okay, next one is uh, to search out uh, what is being taught for yourself. You no, know? I would encourage you to not take my word uh, 
for it, you know, as, as it pertains to the stuff I talk about. You know, spend time searching out for yourself. If you think something is a bit dodgy and a bit off base, you know, search it out in scripture, search it out in reading for yourself. Third commitment is to give feedback, encouragement, and criticisms courageously as required. You know, we really appreciate that. And this year we have people coming up to speak they are, they are alongside me we have guest speakers we have new speakers and I want us to be a community that embraces these people and we do so by encouragement and we do so by giving honourable feedback and the last goal is this my, my goal is for you to endeavour to practice what is taught that we not leave here with just more head information but we leave here with plans with our hearts set to actually live out the stuff that we talk about my commitment your commitment and together, you know, as we are committed to this, His Word, this life, Jesus, His callings, His ammunition, His Scripture, we can really see change in our lives, first and foremost. We can really see God do a great work in our lives and the lives of our family members. But it's our great belief that when lives are transformed here, it does not stay here. That transform lives, transform cities, transform cities, transform nations and the work of transformation that we long to see revival in our land, it begins here. It begins with the small steps that you take. Setting time aside to spend time with God. Getting rid of old habits of sinful behavior. Treating your parents right, treating your spouse right. It begins with the small steps, the little actions. And in doing so, it causes a ripple effect that will touch our nation and the nations of the world. Do you believe that? Yes? Here's how, how I like to end the service. Uh, if you can put a hand on the shoulder of the person on the right and your left. Right and your left. Right and your left. Let's join hands. Right and your left. If you have no shoulder to put on, your, just uh, cross the aisles and do so. I like everybody involved in this. Awesome. Well, as you are laying your hands on the person on the right and left, I would, I would like us to pray for one another and just pray for the openness of our hearts, first of all, to receive the Word of God, to receive His calls, His standards, His admonitions. And I also like for us to pray for grace for one another, grace to live out the standards of Scripture. Grace is that divine empowerment that comes only from heaven that causes us to live above and beyond what we can do on our own. So just pray for that. Pray for the openness of heart. Pray for grace upon the individual on your right and left. Come on, lift your voice and pray. Come on, lift your voice. Pray like you want yourself to be prayed for. Pray like, like you want to be prayed for. Lift your voice. Lord, give us the openness of our hearts to receive in faith Give us grace to live out the life that you so long for us to live. God, cause us to make intentional plans and effort unto being your disciples, unto being yoked to your ways. Speak to us this morning. wrap up. Okay, I want you to drop hands. Drop hands and uh, now pray for the person who really needs it the most. Lay a hand on your own heart and pray for yourself. Just look to the Lord in this morning and ask for grace. Ask for the openness of heart and ask the Lord to speak to you, to reveal areas in your life, things that you are to work on for this year. Come on, lift your voice and pray for yourself. Just pray for yourself. Look to the Lord this morning. Speak to us. Quicken our ears to hear. Speak to us. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Jesus, this morning, step into the water. We are putting our whole lives into your hands. Lord, for the things that we have withheld from you, God, give us the grace to surrender to you. For the things that we have kept hidden from you, give us the grace to reveal them to you. For the things that we 
are uncertain about, for the things that we cannot fully comprehend, give us the grace to believe and trust in you. Lord, we ask for your divine grace to meet us in this moment. Lord, we look to you as our author, as the perfecter of our very faith. We look to you as the model for what life is to be. We look to you for help in this moment. We lift our eyes to the hill for where our help comes from. God, we believe that as we look to you, we will see a grander vision for what life can be in you. As we look to you, we will see your abounding grace that has been freely given to us. In this life, though we may struggle, though there may be effort that needs to be given, but God, your grace is ultimately what sustains us, what holds us, what leads us, what guides us, what what teaches us, what empowers us to live up all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift our voice and let's sing this song.